Okay, I just want to just reflect a little bit on last week with our family service. You know, it's, as I said last week, I love the chaos of family service because it just disrupts our usual rhythm. We all like tidy, you know, clean cut kind of stuff. And it's never like that. When you put kids in the room, they just kind of bring their party and do what they want to do. But what I want to say to you adults is what I'm not seeing and the thing I'm feeling in the room when we have a family day service is that all the adults are standing back and waiting for the children. Oh, it's about them today. I felt that in the worship. Everyone's like, okay, we start with the kids' song. Okay, we all do the moves and have fun. And Michelle can certainly groove. I can't, but that's okay. And we do that, and then we do, and we stand back, and we think it's about the children. It's not about the children. It's about family. So how are they going to learn to worship? How are they going to learn to worship unless we model it for them? And, and as adults, we need to take a step forward and worship and just be an example and sing out and, and, and pray and do what we're doing. They, it looks like they're not engaging. You may, whenever they are. They might be coloring and drawing here. Did you notice every time a youth got up and spoke and said something, my, all the kids in the front here all looked up. Wait, there's a young person. What are they saying? Don't look at their behaviors and think they're not listening. They are listening. They're engaging. Parents go home and hear things from these kids, thinking that they weren't listening, but they were saying, oh, this happened, and I've heard that, and da-da-da. They're engaging. But as parents, don't take a step back and go, okay, it's about the kids today. We'll just sing a few songs. We need to lead the way for them. And I remember a guy speaking at a church in America. He says, oh, they don't have a kid's work. All their children stay in the church meeting every Sunday. He says, yeah, it might go over their heads for a while, but it doesn't matter. That's not the point. They are here. It's, it's, it's planting seeds in their hearts. And slowly but surely, those seeds start producing and bear stuff in their hearts and their lives. Okay, so don't step back. When we have a family meeting now on the June, July holidays, it's not about the children. It's about family. And they're just all together in the meeting. We lead the way. We sing. We pray out. We honor God. We do that, but we don't hold back. Okay, you're sort of getting me there. You're getting me? Yeah, slowly. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, kind of stuff. I see it. I don't know. Okay, we're modeling it for our children to come through. And that's, but now we're in a week of, essentially a week of reflection as we prepare for Passover. And particularly I'm saying we prepare for Passover because we don't just walk into this season and this time, oh yeah, it's a long weekend. Whew, I get to relax. Yeah, you can slow down and have a break, but it's not about the holiday. Okay? This is a, a crucial time on the calendar. Not on our calendar, on God's calendar. So it's not introspection. Oh, my life, yeah, we walk in towards Easter. It's not like a psychological process that I position myself. It's spiritual. Preparing for Passover is, is a spiritual position that you choose and take as a child of God walking up to this time. And I want to just highlight a few things. What we're going to do this week is I'm going to WhatsApp you on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday with what chapters to read in the book of John. We're going to start in the chapter 12 of John today. And then 13 to 18, you are going to read during the week as we prepare. We gather here again on Friday morning for, for, um, for Good Friday service, and then we'll go through, I think it's chapter 19. And what I, what I feel to do is to do what we did over Christmas and just read the story of the Bible. Just read the Bible. You know, I, I find every year we're trying to find a different sermon for Easter, and we can come from different angles and speak about it. Just let's read the Word. Let the Bible tell us the story. And as we read that, it will 
build into your hearts and to your lives. So I will remind you in the week which passages to read for John. And we're going to go on the story and we're going to go on the journey this week in preparing ourselves for Passover. Okay? And we, as we consecrate ourselves. If you read through the Old Testament times, when a good king set up, you know, we've read there, Chronicles and Kings, and he did good in the eyes of the Lord, or he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Every one of those kings that did good in the eyes of the Lord, there was a focus on Passover. They, they were calling everybody, come back to Jerusalem, and we're going to worship God. We cleaned the mountaintops, all the worship of Baal. We cleaned out the temple. We consecrated ourselves. We came before the Lord. See, it's not a meeting. It's not a, uh, a duty to do. It's, it's for God in the honor of what He's done and what He's given to us. And this is how we position ourselves, okay, preparing and consecrating ourselves leading up to Passover. And I, you know what I find happens? I don't know if you've ever, I have had this happen when I sit late at night in my man cave, and particularly when I used to prepare on a Saturday night, I'd sometimes sit there till like two in the morning, preparing and thinking, Jesus, help, I need a word for tomorrow. It's now tomorrow, we're running out of time, can you please give me something? But when I sit there in winter, I don't realize it, but my body just gets colder and colder and colder and colder until I get into bed and my feet are so cold I can't fall asleep. Okay? Because you're, just, you're in the same place, you don't realize things have changed. I don't know if you, with the season changing now, you'll be at home and it, you feel cold when you wake up and you kind of stay in one part of the house, you feel cold, you feel cold, and you just, everything about you is cold. And I'm not a cold person, that's not me, but I just know some days I'm like... Man, it's cold today. So you dress warmly, you feel, and then you go outside, you get in the car and you drive somewhere, you actually realize it's quite a beautiful day outside. And, and in the sun, it actually starts warming you up. And I'm like, well, that's exactly what we have to do now leading to Passover. You have to make a shift. You can't stay in the one place and go, yeah, it's lacquer, yeah, it's cool, but actually slowly but surely the simmering, there's no, nothing happening there. But you actually have to position yourself and say, I focus on the Word. I just read these stories again. Let it massage me. And getting into the sun, the sunlight, but the sun by the Spirit, Jesus, your perspective and your position will bring you warmth, bring you life, and bring you light. And I think that's important. We can't just stay doing the same thing and think, and hope, nothing, and think hope things change when you don't do anything. You've got to put something and position yourself. That's why we're going to work through the book of John and we're going to understand it. But I just want to slide one, Elabella, let's go there. This passage here, okay, in Leviticus 23, 1, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, these are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. And that's very important to understand. My point, that word feast there actually means appointed place, appointed time, appointed season. Okay? So when we look at that, okay, these aren't the Jewish feasts. Okay? They, they aren't Israel's feasts. They are God's feasts. Okay? So He set them in order for a people to follow, that they have a rhythm and a pattern in their calendar that they know at these times, I don't choose anything else, I choose God. And when they had an evil king, they, did, they disregarded these. They just, there was no point of putting them in forward at all, they just set them aside. But when the people were hungry for God, they honored the feasts. And they honored the rhythm that God had set in place for them. So I just want to show you the next one, the, all, the, 
all the different feasts there are. Okay, there are seven different feasts. There are three main ones, and there are seven in total, but a few subheadings. The Passover, which we observe now, is obviously in relation to the leaving of Egypt, okay, and the land of enslavement that they were in the Hebrews. That's always around the March, April time in our Gregorian calendar. A sub-feast is the one of unleavened bread, where Yeshua becomes basically the understanding of the bread of life. Another sub-feast is the first fruits, which is the prophetic of Christ's death and resurrection. It's spoken into this whole time around Passover. And then in, a, in 50 days' time, from next Sunday, we will celebrate Pentecost. Again, understanding Pentecost initially was the 50 days after they had left Egypt, they were then given the law, okay? And given the Word of God through Moses being on the mountain. But for us, it's the spiritual fulfillment of Acts 2, where the Holy Spirit was sent as a promise to His people. Okay, so this is one we acknowledge and, 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 and recognize. Pentecost, the time when the Spirit came. Another subfeast of the trumpets, also known as Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, which was always around September, October. Another subfeast of the Day of Atonement, which is probably the most holy day in all Israel for people. It's a time of repentance. And then the other big feast is the Feast of Tabernacles, which again is the prophetic of the ingathering of saints. It's a spiritual harvest, but it's also about the first fruits of harvest that people bring. Passover, the Israelites celebrated, okay? Jesus fulfilled Passover by dying on a cross, okay? It was fulfilled. The promise was complete. Pentecost was something the Jewish people celebrated every year. It was fulfilled and answered. The promise was given according to the Spirit coming and now bringing us life by the, by the way Jesus has opened up. I truly believe, and we can argue this in different ways, Jesus has fulfilled each one of those. The Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus is also yet to fulfill in the coming and the great harvest. And I, I, I believe that His return will be around this time when He comes back to earth. Well, you don't know the day or the hour. Yeah, we don't know the day or the hour that going to be, but we'll know the season. And I believe He will return when it comes to that time yeah, coming on earth. So I just want to give you a little head up onto that. Now, next slide. If we go to Galatians 3. It says, Paul's writing to the Galatians, obviously, and it says there's no, neither Jew nor Greek. So he's, he's, he's leveling the playing fields here. There's, no, there's, there's neither slave nor free. So what is he doing? We, we're all in this together, okay? There is no male nor female. But it's obviously, he's not gender messed up here, okay? He's not saying that. It's just a good verse for people to kind of look. Yeah, you see, Paul said no male nor female. No, no, don't try, Okay? For you are all one in Christ Jesus. He's leveling the playing field about who we are as a people. Okay? And yeah, this verse of, in the end time stuff we've spoken about a lot. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Okay, what I want to highlight with this verse is that we are heirs to the promises of God. Remember, we as Gentiles have been grafted in to the story, grafted into the understanding of of what God has done for His chosen people, we've become part of that story. Okay? The time of the Gentiles will come to an end and they will, we'll see as that all rises up together. Make, I want to make it clear to you now. I'm not Jewish. Okay? Okay? I don't follow Jewish, Jews. So Russell, Margaret, you're lovely people, but I don't follow you. Okay? I don't follow your culture, your ways, how you have and you've set things up. I follow God, okay? And because 
we have been grafted into the story that God has allowed the Gentiles to become part of, we are fulfilling by acknowledging the promises that have been given to us on our hours to partake with. So it's not, ah, oh, it's Easter time. No, this is God's appointed time. Okay, this is God's season that He said ages ago, but it's now fulfillment in Jesus. And we all acknowledge Jesus in this room. And if you haven't, we can talk to you afterwards about what that means to surrender your life to Him. But we acknowledge Him, so meaning we're part of it. That's why we position ourselves to walk up to this time of Passover, not flippantly, ah, oh, yeah, like a long weekend. No, Jesus, we honor you. We thank you for what you've done. These are God's feasts that he now sets in place for us to enjoy the fulfillment of these promises. I know it doesn't say at the end there, heirs according to the feasts, heirs according to, you know, the laws. But the feasts are showing a fulfillment of the promise. And those promises being fulfilled, we acknowledge that we are partakers of the promises of God to us as His people. Amen. So we don't flippantly walk into this. So what I want to do is I want to start reading from the end of John 11. Okay? Now this, this build-up of John is essentially this week, Jesus now leading up to where he, where he is arrested on the Thursday night and He's brought and He's crucified on the Friday morning. That's why we come on, on Good Friday. This, this passages of John from 12 through to 18, 19 are, are the week basically leading up to Jesus knowing he's going to lay down his life for people in this time, in this hour. And it's interesting, you mentioned there, Ray, Lazarus, he's just healed and just brought Lazarus from the grave. So I want to read from the end of chapter t 11, and then I've got the words from chapter uh, 12 up there we're going to follow. Okay, I just want to read this section now. So from, he's just healed Lazarus, and he's called to come out, and, it's, and it says there from verse... Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, here's the moment of truth. The moment of truth. Guys, I went and had an eye test this week. You now have a wise owl on your hands. Okay, welcome. Thank you, Errol. It's lovely to be part of the club. Now, now I look clever. Careful. Okay. But, but it actually is amazing how it helps. Look at this. Verse 45. From that day forward, many of those who had come to visit Mary believed in Him. For they had seen with their own eyes this amazing miracle, this miracle of, of, of Lazarus raised from the dead. But a few went back to inform the Pharisees about what Jesus had done. So the Pharisees and the chief priests called a special meeting of the high council and said, So, what are we going to do about this man? Look, after all, look at all the great miracles he's performing. And if we allow him to continue like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will take action and destroy both our country and all our people. Now, Cyphus, the, the, the high priest that you spoke up and said, now there's a thing, there were two high priests at that time, which was an illegal kind of thing, but because things were so messed up, they weren't really kind of operating well. You don't, he says, you don't understand a thing. You don't realize we'd be much better off if this one man were to die for the people than for the whole nation to perish. And this prophecy was that Jesus was destined to die for the Jewish people didn't come from Cyphus himself, but he was moved by God to prophesize the chief priest, and Jesus' death would not be for the Jewish people only, but to gather together God's children scattered around the world and unite them as one. This was written 2,000 years ago, and we have now been incorporated in what they were saying there. So from that day on, they were committed to killing Jesus. It set it in their hearts. We need to take this man out. And so for this reason, Jesus no longer went out in public among the Jews, but he went into the wilderness to a village called Ephraim, 
sorry, I just jumped to chapter two, to Ephraim, where he secluded himself with his disciples. Okay, now this is where the story starts. Now we, we, are, we are on Saturday, the week before Passover. Now the time came for the Passover preparations, and many from the countryside went to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the feast began. And all the people kept looking out for Jesus, expecting him to come to the city. They said to themselves while they were waiting in the temple courts, do you, do you think that he will dare come to the feast? For the leading priests and the Pharisees had given orders that they would be informed immediately if anyone saw Jesus so they could seize and arrest him. So now we're the week before, okay, leading up um, to this time. Let's go to Ella next slide. We can start reading from there. Here we go. You can follow with me here. This is chapter 12 of John. I'm reading from the Passion Translation. So six days before the Passover began, this is now Saturday, Jesus went to Bethany, the town where he raised Lazarus from the dead, and they prepared a supper for Jesus. Martha served, there she's doing it again, and Lazarus and Mary were among those at the table. Now the house he was at was the home of Simon the leper who he'd healed. Okay, you can read in Mark 14 where they were at Simon the leper's house. And Jesus has healed this man, and they're sitting in his house now having a meal. Mary picked up an alabaster jar filled with nearly, nearly a liter of extremely rare and costly perfume. A liter. The purest extract of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet, and then she wiped them dry with her long hair, and the fragrance of this costly oil filled the house. The one commentator says now that... Him being anointed and his feet and the smell and this fragrance. When those men were nailing the cross and they're nailing his hands, they would have smelt this fragrance. Because it lingers. You know with perfume, it lingers. It would have lingered on Jesus. And they would have been smelling this. Think about the context, how that is. Eh? This woman's just anointed him for his burial. But Judas the locksmith, this is Judas of Iscariot, okay, which means locksmith, who was Simon's son, the betrayer, spoke up and said, we're always going to have these in the crowd. What a waste. We could have sold this perfume for a fortune and given the money to the poor. In fact, Judas had no heart for the poor. He only said this because he was a thief and in charge of the money case. He would steal money whenever he wanted to from the funds given to support Jesus' ministry. Okay, Ella Bella, just keep tracking with me, babes. Then Jesus said to Judas, leave her alone. Sorry, the red, can you see it? Not so clearly. But the red are Jesus speaking, obviously. She, was sa she has saved it for the time of my burial. You will always have the poor with you, but you won't always have me. Now, the reference to a passage there in Deuteronomy 5, it says 5.11. Now, this is old times where Moses is with these people. It says there 5.11, for there will never cease to be the poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open your wide Open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, to the poor in your land. The heart of the Father for people and for the church has never changed. Another way to say that passage is that, you know, you will always have the poor with you, is that you will always have opportunities to help the poor. And that's, the, what are we doing for Malawi? We are reaching out beyond our own ability and saying, well, we're giving in faith, God, we're giving out. That's the heart of the church globally, that we would pour out and reach out, okay? We always have opportunities. And when the word got out, 
that Jesus was not far from Jerusalem, a large crowd came out to see him. And they also wanted to see Lazarus. Now this healing of Lazarus had caused a bit of a stir. The man Jesus had raised from the dead. And this prompted the chief priests to seal their plans to do away with both Jesus and Lazarus. For his miracle testimony was irrefutable and was persuading many of the Jews living in Jerusalem to believe in Jesus. When power is threatened, the only hope they have is to kill. Look what's happening in our government. Their power is being threatened. And you will see people now under threat. Murders and stuff will take place because of people that are whistleblowers that come out and say the truth. But we don't back down from speaking the truth because we're not afraid of death. We're not afraid of what God works in and does through us. I mean, Ucha and Ada shared with us how they the um, elections had gone in Nigeria. You know, Nigeria's got 200 million, 200 million, right? 200 million people. They had, the most they've ever had registered for votes is 30 million people. Just shout me if I'm wrong here. And there was all these money baggers, as Ada said, that they put forward. And these are the, the main guys they're going to put forward. And there was one guy that said he was rallying the youth, that if the youth registered and they vote for change in their country, they will start winning an election they can see change. They spent 15 billion rand on a new electoral, electronic electoral system that as you laid a vote, it would, you would see it on a dashboard straight away. You would see the change. You would see the votes coming through. This guy that had rallied the youth was winning by a landslide. They shut the servers down and they went back to paper votes. Okay? When power is threatened... They will take everything they can to shut it down and take control. You see, so we, yeah, there's a lot I can talk to you about freedom. Okay? Singapore is an incredible country, but it's not a democracy. It's a, it's a, it's a dictatorship. But, you, but it's so beautiful there, everyone's a freedom. No, you step out of line there, you're done. There's no freedom there. Everyone's got a lot, so it looks free. Just because people have got money, but they're not free. They're bound by a system. And the moment the government decides one thing, you all have to abide. And if you don't abide, you face the law. See what freedom does? See what freedom is to us as God's people? Okay, next slide, Elbel. The next day, the news that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem swept through the massive crowd gathered for the feast. So essentially today is Palm Sunday. Okay, we don't acknowledge it. We don't celebrate it like that. They took palm branches and went out to meet him. What happens with a palm branch? Palm branch is representing and saying something. Okay, Palm branches represented triumph and victory over death. So the, 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 the analogy there is that a lot of these palm trees grow in the desert and arid dry places, but they still flourish. Even though the, 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 the scenario that around them would say you can't live here. It's victory and triumph over death. If you read Revelation 7 verse 9, it says this, And after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and what do they have? With palm branches in their hands. Victory. Triumph over death. 
This is what they were shouting. And everyone was shouting, Lord, be our Savior, meaning Hosanna, Hosanna to the Lord. Blessed is he who comes to us to send us from, uh, who comes to send us, sorry, just to us sent from Yahweh, the King of Israel. And then Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it to fulfill what was prophesied. People of Zion, have no fear. Look, it's your king coming to you riding on a young donkey. Not like some, in those days, if Caesar or some big ruler ruled in, they would ride in on a war horse. Give me a on. Jesus comes in on a donkey. Why also? To fulfill the prophecy that was spoken about. He didn't come and do anything the way people thought he would do it, but he fulfilled the prophecies. Okay, Zechariah 9.9 is that prophecy speaking about, um, behold, your king is coming to you righteous and having salvation. Is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, of the foal of a donkey? He was the king of peace. And now Jesus' disciples, now I love this, think about it. They've walked with him for three years now. Listen to this. Now, Jesus' disciples didn't fully understand the importance of what was taking place. He had told them over and over again. But after he was raised and exalted into glory, they understood how Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies and scriptures that were written about him. All the eyewitnesses of the miracle Jesus performed when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, keep, um, dead kept spreading the news about Jesus to everyone. This, one of the final miracles that Jesus did, caused a great stir. Because the word that says there was irrefutable. You couldn't argue it. They all heard that Lazarus has died. They couldn't play a game around it. And there was Lazarus standing in front of them, alive and well. And they all knew Jesus had called him out the tomb because it was two or three days. How many? Four days. He has the verse that Jesus says in John 11. There was a purpose that that miracle had to take place. Knowing what he has to do for us, knowing what he has to walk through, this is the point of that miracle and the sign. It says in John 11 verse 4, it says, But Jesus, when Jesus heard it that Lazarus was dead, and they called, saying, Please come, because Lazarus is dead, we need you. This is Jesus' word. He said, This illness does not lead to death. So I don't have it up there. This illness does not lead to death. Here's the thing. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Now, this is a good little example for all of us when things go wrong in our lives. And we're like, God, why is this happening? God will use it for His glory. He will always turn a circumstance when we don't understand it, even death. He knew this, what he said, this illness does not lead to death. But he's dead. It doesn't lead to death. Even if you're not raised in this life, you will raised in the next life. There's the power of it. God will use things in your life when you don't understand. And we are in a season like that now. God, really? We keep rolling. Oh, the same thing. We're not seeing what we're believing. All these things are playing out. He will use it for good. And the, someone spoke about suffering. Did you, did you talk on suffering? When you want to see more of God, you, you, there's a price to pay. And there's the beauty in this. Romans 8, I acknowledge I'm a child, son, heir, all that provided that I partake in the sufferings of Jesus. And I want to just speak to your hearts here quickly, is that if it's going wrong, don't lose sight of who Jesus is. Because he hasn't lost sight of the promise. He hasn't lost sight 
of the end goal that will give glory to God. But when we give up on Him, we hamstrung Him to be able to work through us. It's faith. When He comes, what is He looking for? Faith. Just believe. Just stand. You don't even have to try and do things to make it right. Just stand and believe. And this miracle of Lazarus was part of the plan of giving glory to God. They couldn't argue it. But it was leading him to the hatred of the Pharisees and everyone around him because we need to kill this man. He's like, you're not taking my life. I'm going to give my life. Because I know that I have to. It's a part of a plan that is far beyond your little world here, you little Pharisees. Little world. I'm going to save the nations. Not for now, but for a time to come. See the big picture? Come on. Next slide. The news of this miracle of resurrection caused the crowds to swell as great numbers of people welcomed him into the city with joy. Here's the power struggle. But the Pharisees were disturbed by this. And they said to each other, we won't be able to stop this. The whole world is going to run after him. You know, it's interesting. When I get into the end time stuff on the 16th again, a term like that, the whole world, do you really mean they were meaning the whole world? America didn't exist then. Queen, you couldn't go to America then yet. They were just talking about their world. Okay? Think, just remember that. We'll get to that. Now, there was a number of foreigners from among the nations who were worshippers at the feast. Now, these are speaking about Greek people, essentially, who were non-Jews. So they might have converted to Judaism, or they were been part of it, but they were not Jewish people, okay? So they went to Philip, who came from the village of Bethsaida in Galilee, and they asked him, would you take us to see Jesus? We want to see him. And so Philip went to find Andrew, and then they both went to inform Jesus. Next slide. And he replied to them. Now, this is Jesus talking to Philip and Andrew. And his words, he speaks to him. He says, now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. Let me make this clear. A single grain of wheat will never be more than a single grain of wheat unless it drops into the ground and dies. Because then it sprouts and produces a great harvest of wheat, all because one grain died. The person who loves this life and pampers himself will miss true life. But the one who detaches his life from this world and abandons himself to me will find true life and enjoy it forever. If you want to be my disciples, follow me and you will go where I am going. And if you truly follow me as my disciples, the Father will show his favor upon your life. You dig a little deeper into that, what he, Jesus is actually saying there, just about that follow me thing, he's actually speaking about materially provide for my ministry. If you provide for me, I will be with you wherever you go and support. As, as you support me, I will support you. Basically, that's what he's saying. Okay? Next part. Even though I am torn within and my soul is in turmoil... I will not ask the Father to rescue me from this hour of trial. Because he knew he had to walk through it. For I have come to fulfill my purpose, to offer myself to God. So, Father, bring glory to your name. That is full surrender. Not an iota of his own will. 
only the Father's will. Now we all understand what he's saying in this portion here. He said, Jesus is the seed. He is the one grain that if I die, if I lay down my life, a great harvest will come because of my surrender and my death that will bring about many. So the drop into the, uh, the ground is a grain and the wheat will bring forth a harvest. And his reply to Andrew and Philip here of these requests for these non-Jews to have a conversation and speak to Jesus is he's basically saying to them in that way around is that if they want to see me, the purpose of me having to die and this grain dying and a harvest coming forth is that they will see me through you. I don't have to go and talk with them. You can talk with them because I will be with you. So if you want to see Jesus, in today, now we're 2,000 years later, look at the church. Do the world see Jesus when they see the church? Then you see, you talk about our marriages and our children and our finances. See all these things that are an example to this world. And we've all been, we all go through a dying and a birthing process in our lives as we learn what it is to surrender our lives and lay down before Him. And not our wills, but His will. And there's the harvest to the nations that come forth with that. <laughs> Next one. I mean, look at, the, look at the stuff that's happening just in one chapter. Then suddenly a booming voice was heard from the sky. I have glorified my name and I will glorify it through you again. <laughs> the audible voice of God startled the crowd standing nearby. Some thought it was only thunder, yet others said an angel just spoke to him. And then Jesus told them, the voice you heard was not for my benefit, but for yours to help you believe. And from this moment on, everything in this world is about to change. Everything. For the ruler of this dark world is about to be overthrown. He will be overthrown. And I will do this when I am lifted up off the ground. Now, this is the second time that people heard the audible voice of God speaking. And I love it how they thought, I thought I heard thunder. That reference to the voice of God is actually relating to, even when Moses was up on the mountain, they heard lightning and thunder. That's the voice of God. It's not necessarily thunder. It's His voice booming of power that it speaks that's coming forth from His voice. <laughs> and I, I would be pretty startled if I heard, we heard an audible voice now saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. I, it would get my attention. I think I would fall flat. Hey, but he's like, it wasn't, it wasn't, the voice wasn't for me, but it's for you to help you believe. Okay. And now Jesus saying, and when you do this, I am lifted off the ground. He's speaking of being lifted off the ground in crucifixion, that he will hang. Okay. On the cross. And when I draw the hearts of people together to me, and he said this to indicate that he would die by being lifted up on the cross. And then the people, they're asking that. The people from the crowd spoke up and said, die? How could you, the anointed one, die? And the word of God says that the anointed one will live with us forever. But you just said that the Son of Man must be lifted up from the earth. Now you must understand, in Jewish tradition, is that when Jesus says these words, they know he's talking about crucifixion. Okay, so it's not like, what well, you must, not Peter, you must, but... Why? But it says the anointed one's going to have to live forever. But how can you go and die now? That doesn't make sense. How can you go and be crucified on a cross? 
They didn't see the full picture. And then they ask, well, who's the son of man anyway? Just, just think of the, the questions in people's hearts. The, the story wasn't fulfilled yet. Even the disciples weren't like understanding. <laughs> they only got it when he was resurrected. If you're not fully unsure what God's doing and what's playing out, hold the line. Clarity will always come. No matter what time and season you're walking through, don't walk away though. Keep walking towards and stand and hold your line with stuff. Said they knew. Obviously, he was talking about the crucifixion. Next one. Jesus replied, you will have the light shining with you only for a little while. And while you still have me, walk in the light so that the darkness doesn't overtake you. For when you walk in the dark, you have no idea where you're going. We've all kicked our toe against something or something. So believe and cling to the light while I'm with you so that you will become children of light. And after saying this, Jesus then entered into the crowd and hid himself from them. Now, even with the overwhelming evidence of all the many signs and wonders that Jesus has performed in front of them, his critics still refused to believe him. This fulfilled prophecy given by Isaiah, now this is the Jewish people. After all that he's done, you can see, you can, you can realize, you see, signs don't always convince people. He always says to his, the Pharisees, you were looking for a sign, this sign, that sign, but I'm standing right here in front of you. What more do you want? And I know many of us in our world is like, Lord, just give us a sign that you're with us. I've just come to a conclusion that when we gather, and like he did this morning again, and he's here, he manifests himself, that's a sign. He's with us. If we didn't know God was in this room with us, then we must pack up. Okay, and then we can all go watch the replay of the Grand Prix. We can all go and watch the replay of the rugby and just go to the beach and go and fill our lives with other entertaining stuff and just hope for the end. But you'll find it pretty pointless very quickly. Where His presence is with us, that's a sign. God is with us. Amen? So these fulfilling the prophecy in Isaiah, the Lord who has believed, Lord who has believed our message. This is Isaiah 53. Who has seen the unveiling of your great power? Imagine being Isaiah the prophet. No one listened to this poor guy. And the people were not able to believe, for Isaiah also prophesied, God has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts to the truth. So with their eyes and hearts closed, they cannot understand the truth, nor turn to me so that I could instantly cleanse and heal them. And that's from Isaiah 6, citing prophecies that were spoken about, they're not going to get it. They're standing, you're standing right in front of them, and they didn't get it. Your promise might be right in front of you, and you can't see it because you're clouded with lies. You're clouded with perceptions. You're clouded with your own paradigm of seeing things. And it could be right in front of you. Next slide. Isaiah said these things because he had seen and experienced the splendor of Jesus and prophesied about him. Yet there were many Jewish leaders who believed in Jesus. What is his name in John 3? Nicodemus. Nicodemus is one of those. He believed in Jesus. Have you ever watched The, the Chosen and that, that chapter of that episode where he encounters Jesus and he suddenly realizes, I'm touching God. I'm touching God. Like, right in front of me. 
but this is what happens with, I believe, there were many Jewish leaders who believed in Jesus, but because they feared the Pharisees, they kept in secret. So they, could, they wouldn't be ostracized by the assembly of Jews for their, not that this is Nicodemus, but for they loved the glory that men could give them rather than the glory that came from God. I, I believe there are many believers of Jesus in a country like China who are even in governmental positions, but they don't tell people because they will be taken out. Same in North Korea. All those nations where we think it's hopeless, but it can turn because our Jesus has conquered and beaten. You see, Isaiah, which is an incredible thing where he's saying here, he's, Isaiah is saying these things because he's seen and experienced, he says, yeah, the splendor of Jesus and prophesied about him. Isaiah saw Jesus. If you read through what he saw, it's very similar to what David saw. This is what we teach with the connection point of the place of Anopian before the throne of God with the 12, um, the, the 24 elders bowed down and the cherubim and the worshiping and honoring and all that before the throne of God, Isaiah saw that. He saw Jesus high and lifted up before he'd even been lifted up, <laughs> before he became man and lived on this earth. And we finish this chapter with, it says, yeah, Jesus' last public teaching that he gave. So this is now either the Saturday or the Sunday leading up to this week now where he prepares himself to lay his life down so that you and I, 2,000 years later, are still walking in freedom. Then Jesus shouted out passionately, to believe in me is to also believe in God who sent me. For when you look at me, you are seeing the one who sent me. I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who trust in me will no longer wander in darkness. If you hear my words and refuse to follow them, I do not judge you, for I have not come to judge you, but to save you. If you reject me and refuse to follow my words, you already have a judge. The message of truth I have given you will rise up to judge you at the day of judgment. For I'm not speaking as someone who is self-appointed, but I speak by the authority of the Father himself who sent me and who instructed me what to say. And I know that the Father commands, res Father commands res result in eternal life. And that's why I speak the very words I've heard him speak. How powerful it is that we, this example of Jesus who never did anything that he didn't hear the Father say to him or he see the Father doing. Absolute, perfect submission to a greater power, to a higher power, who didn't grasp an equality to be grasped with God. He humbled himself. He laid himself down so that you and I can walk in freedom. And what he's saying there is, a little bit earlier as well, will you be my disciples? Will you follow me? Will you lay down your lives for me just as I have laid my life down for you? Because if you do, I'm with you. Where you go, I will go as we surrender ourselves to him. And I want to ask of you this week, folks. We surrender ourselves to him this week. I'm not calling a fast. 
I'm not calling, we're going to go, we are going to prepare our hearts as we walk into this Passover weekend. Not flippantly, not just, yeah, it's a long weekend. Yes, you can, yes, relax, break, family time, great. But let's not forget the main cause of all this that has taken place for your freedom and for your life. A person, the man himself, Christ, came and laid it all down. What, what can we lay down? How can we live lives of surrender to Him by not putting our own agendas and our own wills up front all the time? Just step back a little bit and say, Lord, Your, your will. And this whole week is Him leading up and He, he speaks through John 13. He goes, it's the beautiful passage of John 15. He speaks about, I'm the vine, you're the branches. John 17, His prayer that He prays over the disciples. Powerful, powerful lasting moments of Jesus in his human form, leaving with his disciples. He was ministering to them. Because the moment he died and he resurrected, it was now up to them to continue this work. And it's the same for us. It's up to us to be that example at the office tomorrow, to be the light that shines, to know your God. And when, when, when you engage and you surrender to him, is a beautiful place of assurance that you get. And I'm asking, so I'm going to message you every day. We're going to read different chapters and portions of the Bible, and we're going to come together on Friday morning, and we're going to continue reading the passages of John. I'm just going to let the story tell us, paint that picture for us, what Christ has done for us. Amen? Amen. 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 Come, let's stand together. Let's just pray over us as we prepare our hearts this week. Now again, you see, what's happened here is you've, you've tasted of the goodness of God. We've tasted of His presence. He was here encouraging our hearts this morning, speaking life over you. The words from Timor, the words from Ray. Who are we? Are? We are beacons of truth. The lies of the enemy. You see, we constantly have to position ourselves. But positioning comes through surrender. So let's just... Close our, close our hearts, and Ellie said. Close our eyes. Open our hearts. <laughs> open our hearts to Him. Jesus, we acknowledge You. We, we honor You. We thank You that this week leading up to a time where You knew you were, you were going to face a cruel, horrible, painful death. But You didn't back down. Not one bit. And because You didn't back down, here we are, 2,000 years later, still giving thanks, still honoring you. And so I release over every heart here this morning as we position ourselves to honor you. As we read these passages this week, allow your spirit to comfort us, counsel us, encourage us, as we just reflect on the goodness of our God, what you've done for us for the freedom that we have in surrender to you. I pray as we've sung these words and declared these words over the power of your name this morning, I pray that those, those holds of addiction, those things of depression and anxiety, all these strongholds, all these lies would be shattered off of you. You would not leave this place with any of these things lingering and hanging on you by the power of the name of Jesus. Jesus, we release your name. Your name is high above every name. You are the most powerful name of all names. And at your name, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess 
That's the hope we have. That's the name we honor. And so let your, the name of Jesus be highly exalted in your life. Be highly exalted in your family. Be highly exalted in your workplace. As we look to you, as we honor you, and surrender to you this week, remembering, Lord, all that you have done for us. We are ever grateful, ever grateful. Saying thank you just does not seem enough. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just speak the name of Jesus. Just release Jesus. Just say Jesus. 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 Come out. Just release his name over those things you've got to face this week. Release that name. Release that name over circumstances. Jesus, we speak your name. The power of your name that shatters and breaks everything, sets order in the spirit over our hearts and our lives. Jesus, your name. Your name is power. Your name is power. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So we acknowledge you and we thank you. Amen. Amen. Amen.